My name is Jeff, one of the elders here at the church. We are going to be in Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 23. So if you would please go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Again, Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 23. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can, of course, use one of the Bibles in front of you. The page number there will be 864. While you're doing that, I want to remind you about our resource wall over there by the Connect booth. All of those books are free. We want you to take those books. We want you to read those books. That is our only request, that if you take one, that you read it. Because the more we know about Christ, the greater love we will have for Christ. That's why we teach the way that we teach. It's why we provide resources the way that we do. It's why we really do church the way that we do, because we want to know more about Christ. And we, uh, we get that through His revealed Word. Also, there's Connect cards in front of you. I want to ask that you fill those cards out. I'm talking to members, regular attenders, and visitors. Please fill those cards out because they really are a, a fantastic way for us to be known by the church uh, so we can know how we might pray for you or how we might be of service to you. So uh, please take time today to fill one of those cards out. You can drop them in the white boxes up here by the windows. There's also a black box over by the resource wall as well. All right. It's also our tradition here at Maranatha to stand in reverence of God's Word if you're able. Well, Sarah Rolston today reads our passage for us again, which is Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 23. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call uncommon. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and he said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited the men to be his guests. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat now. Pray for us. Father, we are so grateful for your word. We're grateful, Lord, that we have this truth that is revealed to us through your Son by the power of your Spirit, that it guides us and leads us and uh, is the evidence of salvation. It, it, it tells us uh, how we are to follow after Christ, how we are to, to come and worship and obey. And Lord, we're so grateful that we have this opportunity today. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive this truth, receive this, this calling upon our life to be about the things that you're about, to be the church that is uh, a representative of your light, uh, to shine to this community and the surrounding areas. Lord, we trust you. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray in the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen. This passage today 
can be a bit difficult. And the way that it can be difficult is it's one of those passage, passages that it's, it's easy for us to look outward and not actually consider it inwardly. It's one of those passages that oftentimes we think of, oh yeah, that person should be like this and not recognize that it's actually about us. Therefore, today I want to begin with some questions. I want to begin with some questions. And the reason for those questions is because sometimes we can simply react or respond with what we know to be the right answer without actually taking the time to consider if we have understood what the question might be attempting to reveal. So here are those questions. Here are some questions that I would love for us to think about as we make our way into this passage. Who deserves God's grace? But who are the people who might be potential heirs according to his promise? Are those whom you don't approve of possible candidates for the kingdom? And are you willing to spend your time and talent on those who are different than you in hope that their eyes and heart would open to the gospel? Maranatha, I believe that we know the right answer to those questions. I believe that we, uh, we know how to properly uh, address those questions, how to come uh, through with the right theological understanding. We know the right questions, but please let me press on you for just a bit. Let me press on you just a little. Practically, if you were honestly to assess your life, are they true of you? Because simply put, our attitudes and actions reveal what we actually believe. Right? Our attitudes and actions Reveal what we believe. Therefore, are there people that you try to avoid? Coworkers? Maybe family members? Possibly there are people in the community? Are there places that you try to make yourself different so that you're not discovered? Have you gone as far as choosing to not share the gospel with someone because you have already decided that that person or a people wouldn't receive it anyways? Or maybe you've submitted to your feelings that those people are just too far outside of your own social comfort zone, so you don't even try. Maranatha, please hear this as well. I'm not trying to be depressing I'm not trying to be depressing. It's just that, again, what we believe plays itself out in our attitudes and our actions. And all of this connects to our passage today because what we see here in this passage is God changing Peter. What we see is Peter being transformed. God is addressing Peter's underlying attitude about the Gentiles while he, that being God, while he continues to accomplish what he alone desires and designed to happen. Now, like I said last week, this is the moment in, this, in chapter 10. This is really the moment when the church begins to turn their evangel, uh, evangelistic efforts towards those who are outside of ethnic Israel, right? Up until this point, it's mainly Jewish. Christianity is mainly Jewish, but now is the turn. In verse 1 through 8, we read about how God sent an angel with a message to Cornelius, a Roman centurion. And that message which was more of a command. Well, that message was to go and find the apostle Peter in Joppa. So that's what he did. 
Right? As a good, faithful soldier that he was, he did what he was told to do. Cornelius did send some of his men down to Joppa in order to invite Peter to come up to Caesarea. And while they traveled, God was in the midst of doing what God does. He was working in Peter. Right? He was preparing Peter for what he was about to do. And honestly, he was preparing him because it was necessary. This was necessary. You see, if we consider the cultural context for Cornelius, this wouldn't have been that big of a deal. It wouldn't really have been a problem to interact with or host a Jewish person. But for Peter, or really any Orthodox Jewish person, because of the way they applied the Jewish law, they could not, or rather they would not, even enter a Gentile's house. In part, and in reference to what we're learning about today, this was because of the foods that they ate. Because of, how, uh, because of how their food was considered unclean, which then therefore the Jewish people believed made the Gentiles unclean. And if they were to interact with those people or eat with those people, then they too would become ceremonially unclean. You with me? Which is why, again, referencing this text, this is why God designed the vision the way that he did, because he wanted to be clear about what he desired to do. All right, this is all connected together. He, was, uh, he designed the vision so that he could be perfectly clear about what he desired to do. Let me reread verses 9 through 13 just to refresh our memory so we know what we're talking about. It says this, The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. It's around noon. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kind of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. There's a lot of things happening here. Even in these few verses, there's a lot of things going on here. First, we see Peter praying. And that's important. We see Peter faithfully praying. Peter, as a way of spiritual discipline, he took the time to seek after God. And I don't think that it's necessary for us to try and discern why he was doing this. That's not the point. We don't need to try and figure out if Peter was seeking for an answer or if he was suffering in some particular way. Again, that's not the point. But the important point of all of it, of this reality that he was diligently praying, was that he went to go and do what he typically did at the sixth hour, and that was to pray with his heavenly Father. It's vitally important. The second thing that we see is that Peter was hungry. Now, this is not that vital of an element to this teaching, but it may connect to why God used the parable of food in the way that he did in order to, to teach Peter and us in turn the important lesson that he was leading us towards, right? He uses these animals and this recognition of, of what was clean and unclean in food. So Peter was hungry, so essentially he spoke to Peter in the way that he knew that Peter would hear him, right? God does that to all of us all the time. My wife, the Lord speaks to my wife through music, just as an example. For some of us, it's other things. Third, there's this blanket or a sheet that descends from heaven. 
And it's been taught that the four corners of this great sheet are meant to represent the four corners of the compass, north, south, east, and west, as a way to indicate that it represents the entire earth. It covers the whole earth and therefore also the millions of people who live on the earth. As well, the sheet descends from heaven and eventually ascends back to heaven in a way to articulate that this truth that is being declared through this parable is to be understood and applied simply in the way that God designed and desired for it to be. Right? This is God's truth. This is why it's coming from heaven. Fourth, there's all sorts of different animals that are on this sheet. There's all sorts of different animals. There's animals that represent the approved animals that are to be used for food by the Jewish people, as well as there's a multitude that were not, according to the uh, ceremonial law, supposed to be eaten by Israel. And then came a voice, a voice which we are meant to understand as the voice of the Lord our God. And this voice commands Peter to rise up and then kill and eat. But, according to Peter's ingrained heritage or his uh, ancestral conscience that he possessed, this is wrong. (laughs) He knew that it was wrong. He thought that this was wrong, which is why Peter boldly informs God just how wrong it is, right? I mean, come on. It's a little bit like how he spoke to Jesus when Jesus was washing his feet in the upper room. Peter spoke boldly, but he denied what God wanted because he did not yet understand the meaning of the vision, all right? We can read of his boldness. Peter declared in verse 14, by no means, Lord, it's pretty aggressive language, by no means, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, we know, or at least later on in chapter 10, we're going to learn about this in verse 28, that this vision is a parable to teach Peter, and again us, that God isn't exactly talking about the food. He's using this idea of food, but he's not exactly talking about the food. Rather, ultimately, what he is referencing are his image bearers. Verse 28 reads this. I'm just ruining the sermon for next week. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And even though it didn't take Peter long to get it, to understand the vision, praise the Lord, like him or like us, we all are uh, in the process of growing in grace and wisdom. Although it didn't take him long to get it, at this moment, Peter still didn't quite understand the vision, right? Look at verse 19. And while Peter was pondering the vision, as he was trying to understand it, the Spirit said to him, Behold, there are three men who are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Hear the purpose in there, for I have sent them. Now, I don't think that it's a coincidence That Peter, here again, is hearing what he is supposed to do directly from God. And before, with Cornelius, we are told that he was told what to do by an angel. 
And I think that little detail is important. I think it helps us understand the dynamics between Peter and Cornelius, what's actually happening here. How this is a call of, of salvation and evangelism because what it shows us is what was missing in Cornelius and what Peter already possessed as this blessing given to him by God, which is the Holy Spirit. Right? God is able to speak to Peter, directly to Peter, because of the Holy Spirit, but God had to use an angel to speak to Cornelius. Because Cornelius wouldn't have the Spirit come upon him until later on, which we will learn in the rest of chapter 10. Again, why he had to use an angel. Although this also shows us something else that's quite important. It shows us that God, as he often does, was at work in the life of an unbeliever. That God is at work, he does work in the life of unbelievers to prepare them, to prepare him, Cornelius, his family, and his friends for salvation. In his common grace, God is consistently working in the life of people, even if they don't believe, in a way to prepare them to respond in repentance, as a way to bring about this reception of their adoption into the kingdom family of God. And Maranatha, what we're witnessing here in chapter 10, please recognize what we're witnessing here in chapter 10 as this narrative continues is how the good news, how the truth of grace and mercy was growing within Peter, how it was transforming him. Later, Peter, or rather Luke tells us that Peter was inwardly perplexed. He was asking himself, what does this vision mean? What am I meant to believe as I see this? What am I supposed to do with this? And then the men whom the Lord had already sent show up. And the Holy Spirit speaks again. He says, go down there, Peter. Go down there and welcome those men whom I have sent for you. Again, notice the purpose in this. Notice the preparation and the planning and the providence. I have sent them for you. Look at verse 21. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. Look at verse 23 again. So he invited them in to be his guests. Remember all that I said about the Jews and the Gentiles. Remember how there was this wall of hostility that existed between them, this reality of, of, of difficulty and separation. But here, those... Walls of hostility are beginning to break down because of the gospel truth. Here is one of those miracles that Justin Bubar spoke about a couple weeks ago when we see the kingdom of God break into an individual's heart, whether that be for salvation or sanctification. That there is a miracle. And with this simple gesture of welcoming them in, of inviting these Gentile strangers into where Peter was staying, we get the chance again to witness his transformation, to witness him change. 
And it's here that Peter really begins to learn that the God of creation is not a God of partiality. This is where he really begins to learn that lesson, that our God, the God of all creation, is not a God of partiality. It's us who write people off. It's us who relationally excommunicate whole churches based simply on a rumor. It's us who shut out entire cultures because we actually desire conformity to our own comfort. Maranatha, we must allow ourselves to change. We must allow ourselves to be transformed because we do believe that God is continually transforming us into the image of a son. We understand that theologically, but culturally in our heart, do we allow that to exist? We must take in this knowledge that we have of the gospel and allow it to transform our hearts and continue to soften us as we walk in this world. We are being transformed into the image of his son. Therefore, are we going to be so bold as to draw lines where the God of all creation does not? Are we going to draw lines where God does not? Again, chapter 10, this passage and the rest of it shows that Peter was changed. And yes, of course, like us, he has plenty of uh, plenty of growth to go, right? We have plenty of growth to go. We even learn in Galatians 2 how Peter still at times was a bit shy to, uh, to be seen interacting and be publicly uh, recognized with the Gentiles out of fear of what the Jewish religious leaders would think of him. But from this moment forward with Peter, from this moment forward, he never again shelters himself in his homeland. In fact, even as it ends up being, he's martyred in Rome, which is the literal capital at that time for the Gentiles. So he must have been there doing some sort of ministry for Christ's glory in worship of God. And what I mean to show us by speaking about that is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, who is our Christ, is for everyone. It's for everyone. We must share it with everyone, non-believer and believer. It is our responsibility as sons and daughters of our king to share the truth that brings about life, that proclaims the hope that we have in the gospel. It is our responsibility. If you're wrestling with that, if you're wrestling with that call, and even if you feel a bit of difficulty in that, or maybe you're thinking, well, that's not my gift. I don't do that thing. If you're wrestling with this call, if you're wondering if that is really what we are all meant to be doing, well, then let me share with you this exercise that I read, which prayerfully will affect your heart the way that it did mine. Let me share this exercise with you. If you would, Today, when you get home, grab a napkin, take a four-cornered napkin, and write on it all the names of the nations, all the churches that you can think of, the denominations, the ministers, the politicians, friends, neighbors, fellow, fellow worshipers, as well, write down all the people that you don't like. Write down all the people that you despise. Write down all the people who you cannot and will not love. Write all of the names in there. Fill it up and then take that napkin, crunch it up and say, No, Lord, I will not. 
I will not defile myself by interacting with them. Now, I know we won't do that. Because we understand that that is an evil thing. And even though this pretend exercise is there to, to, to represent something that is evil, I hope that you receive a glimpse into your own heart that you won't soon forget. Because every one of us was thinking about people who we don't want to associate with. Everyone in here was thinking about people that they have an aversion to. I hope that you've been given a glimpse of your own heart. Again, one that you won't soon forget. And hopefully with that moment of recognition, because the gospel doesn't leave us in the pit, hopefully with that moment of recognition, God will grow in you a condition of compassion. That's what the gospel does. Because just as the Spirit speaks to us in James 2.1, he says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith. As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Romans 2.11, for God shows no partiality. Why are we not to show partiality? Because the God of all creation didn't show partiality when he chose to save us. Maranatha, we wouldn't dare do what that exercise suggests that we do. We do. Even as we imagine it, we, we wouldn't dare do it. Because we understand that we are to love all people just as Jesus, who is the Christ, loved us. We are to forgive people because <laughs> Jesus, who is the Christ, has forgiven us. We don't deserve his mercy and grace. We don't. We don't deserve his mercy and grace. And even though everyone who right now is outside of salvation, just as we once were enemies of God, they are all still potential heirs of the promise. It is not our job to choose who is in and who is out. Our responsibility is to tell the truth to every last potential inheritor of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That is what we are to do. And we who already possess this wonderful blessing by the power of the Spirit, we must freely give what we have received. We must freely give what we have received, not because it is our doing, but rather it is a gift of God. It is the gift of God. We, Maranatha, are his workmanship, and we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, just like this, which he prepared beforehand for us to walk in, in faith. That's just Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It's just already revealed to us in God's word who we are to be and what we are to do. I pray that you see the joy in that opportunity. I pray that you recognize this gift that you've been commissioned into as Christians, as sons and daughters of the King Most High, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, creator of all the universe. We are given an opportunity to walk in his light with joy because of the salvation that has been provided to us through Christ. Let's be those people, Maranatha. If you would, please pray with me. Father, we love you and thank you. We are so grateful for your love and your forgiveness. 
and the call of salvation that you've placed upon us. Help us to to live in a way that honors you, recognizing your grace as we don't sometimes respond well to your love. Help us to be your church. Help us to be a light to this community and the surrounding areas, Lord. Let us be people who walk in such incredible love that people wonder who and why we are the way that we are so we can point them to the truth of your son. We do love you. We do trust you. It's in your son's name we pray in the power of your spirit. Amen.